Country Life on Midlands 103. Brought to you by W. Orshaw Burlington Business Park Tullamore. Supplier of New Holland's tractors in the Midlands. Worshaw.ie. Good evening and welcome to Country Life here on Midlands 103. It is Wednesday 15th of November and many thanks for joining me here on the programme. It's MJ Cleary with you for the next hour, bringing you the latest from the Midlands and further afield from the worlds of agriculture, food and agri-business. Not too bad a day today, but uh, Storm Debbie was an unwelcome visitor at the weekend, left lots of you without power. County Westmead was especially hit and a real annoyance, especially on dairy farms. More than likely though, won't be the last storm or indeed power outage we have over the next few months. I have over the last couple of years uh, done a piece with a leash-based company who are involved in generators for farms. And I must do a piece again over the course of the next couple of weeks. Kind of is getting to a stage on dairy farms now where uh, a generator is almost a necessity just given the type of weather and the type of storms we have over the course of the last couple of years. Now, I know we're coming up to the dry period, uh, so if it was to go over the course of the next few weeks, not going to be as big a deal. But look, you won't feel be milking cows again. I'm not going to say that, though, too soon. You haven't dried them off yet. I already have you back milking, so you're going to take a break for a few weeks, at least around Christmas. Uh, in a moment... We will be speaking to Minister Martin Hayden uh, about a recent trade mission to Asia. Also an upcoming Fine Gael event this weekend. Also this evening, going to be speaking about an ICSA event taking place in Tullamore this Friday. And there is an environmental aspect to it. Uh, no surprise there. That is what most meetings are about at the moment and most agendas have the environmental aspect of them. Richard Markham is originally from Yorkshire and he's living in County Offaly. He operates a business, treeandhedge.ie. He's going to be speaking at the event all about laying hedges and also the services he offers farmers who need to plant under their acres obligations. Now, the Chagas Annual Beef Conference takes place next week in Ballinasloe. Next Tuesday evening, Bernard Dorley from Chagas Tullamore joins me to chat about the lineup. There are six papers in total on the night, ranging from the prevalence of IBR in our cattle to international speakers from the UK and France highlighting such issues as global beef demand over the coming months. A paper which is going to attract particular interest is that of Dr Paul Crossens where he chats about the recent changes to the beef Eurostar index. So this is going to, the star rating basically, this is going to see some breeds value fall and some breeds are going to increase which is of real importance to you if you're involved in SCEP, the Suckler Cow Efficiency Programme. As you know, you're going to need a certain amount of four and five star females to meet these requirements to get your money at the end of the year and the fact that these are changing now is going to mean that some animals are going to be higher rated than others. So Paul's going to join me about that towards the end of the hour and that's a a really interesting uh, piece especially if you are a suckler beef farmer Uh, now as always text the show with comments thoughts or questions to 083 30 10 103 happy to put anything to our guests this evening and as I said starting off with uh, Minister Martin Hayden Uh, Minister many thanks for taking my call this evening Hi MJ good evening to you uh, so, Minister, look, you're, you have a wide ambit in your department. Uh, you're Minister of State at the Department of Agriculture with responsibility for research and development, farm safety and new market development. It's that area of new market development I'm going to speak about, which you now we're going to talk about an event you have in a moment. But first, the new market development. You were out in the Far East for a few days, uh, Malaysia and the Philippines. Can you tell us about the trip, please? How did it go? Yeah, it was. Um, I led a trade mission out with Borbia and a number of Irish food companies um, to Kuala Lumpur in Malaysia and then down to Manila in the Philippines. 
um, last week. And, you know, I, when I was first appointed a minister uh, at the Department with New Market Development, um, obviously the area of trade is uh, a key part of my role. But another area then is the area of research and innovation. And it's amazing how um, the research and innovation piece comes up quite a bit on the trade piece because they are quite interlinked in many ways and, and there is great interest in the new higher value markets that we're trying to gain access to, um, to, to know around what we're doing on the research side and the sustainability piece as well. But had some really good meetings. Um, obviously, as the minister, you kind of open doors and have ministerial meetings on the other side uh, and allow then Borbia to do its work in terms of um, the, the business uh, of, of promoting Irish food and drink um, abroad in these markets. And like these are really big markets with a lot of potential for us. There's a lot of dairy in Malaysia. Uh, in the Philippines is our biggest market for beef outside of the EU and the UK. And in mentioning the UK, you know, we know, we know what the fallout from um, a, a Brexit is. It is that the UK is doing uh, deals with third countries with the likes of New Zealand and Australia. They're doing trade deals. Uh, where they're trying to sell British products to those countries and what they're offering in return is their population of 60 million people and they've offered very generous uh, large quantities of beef uh, and other products to Australians and New Zealand in those trade deals. So the UK will never stop being a very important market for us. We'll continue to pay really significant attention for all of our produce. But, you know, it is a risk for us that 50% of our produce goes to the UK. It goes there because they're good customers. They trust us. Uh, they trust the, the quality in, um, of Irish food. But, you know, if that was to come underpinned, we need more markets around the world as more options. Um, and if you look at like the Philippines, we've built our trade there up to 50 million euros worth in terms of beef, 70 million euros worth in terms of dairy. And this was about looking at further opportunities to grow that further. Um, and with a population of 112 million in the Philippines, where food security is a really big issue as it is in Malaysia, uh, there's a lot of opportunities for us there to grow that. So it was a very successful week where we had a lot of engagement with businesses um, and with key influencers who can spread the word about Irish food and drink produce as well. Yeah, huge population. It's in the Philippines, 112 million. How is the economy going out there, uh, Martin, when you're out and about and you're driving around and you're seeing, uh, is it, uh, obviously, look, there's going to be lots of poverty as well, but um, in relation to uh, middle-income earners and people who are going to be going out buying uh, beef products and, uh, and these products coming across the, the world, is it strong at the moment? Or are they looking good uh, from an economic outlook? Yeah. Well, in general, Southeast Asia is a key priority for us in the department. You know, earlier this year, I was in Korea, um, Minister McConnell was with the Taoiseach Leo Varadkar in Korea only recently as well, where we're making great strides to try and gain market access for beef there uh, into the Korean market, uh, which would make a big difference as well. Um, and what we what we're seeing across Southeast Asia is a growing middle class, um, and you know what we're seeing is a move to more Western diets. And if you look at the likes of Darian, um, there is probably a, obviously with the likes of China and beyond. We're seeing, we're seeing a decline in birth rate, um, an aging population. So maybe a bit of a pivot away from our dependency on infant formula uh, to opportunities around the, the importance of the calcium and nutrition that's in our in our dairy and beef produce for an aging population that is getting more conscious about their nutrient intake. So there's massive opportunities for us in that area, as well as the fact that their diets are becoming more westernized. Um, and that does mean a higher demand uh, for nutrient-dense uh, safe nutritious food and, and that safety element is something that is really paramount we take it for granted we nearly as as Irish farmers I mean not not as a government um, we nearly take for granted the fact that our food is so trusted um, but you know our unique selling point is the fact that our food is beyond reproach in terms of safety in terms of traceability and high quality um, and in, in those higher value markets uh, that we want to access in, and, and grow in 
um, then the opportunities there are going to, like in the likes of the Philippines, there is a lot of poverty, uh, the same in Malaysia, but there's also a lot of opportunity uh, and a growing middle class as well. What type of beef products do you eat out there, Martin? Is it uh, all steak, all high-end stuff, or is it stir-fries? Is it uh, cooked in a different way? No, it'd be a mixture, and in some, like if you take in the Southeast Asia area, like, y- you know, the, the importance for us in terms of growing markets is actually the wide range uh, of products that we can diversify into different markets. So if you take the likes of Japan, uh, beef tongue is a delicacy there and it fetches a very high price. Uh, there's a lot of other markets wouldn't have much interest in that. So this is about us looking at all, uh, all of the end. You wouldn't be so much talking about steak or the higher end uh, cuts in, in these markets. You know, in, in terms of poultry and that, they get their protein um, they very much see the protein has been on the bone. Um, so it, it, the, the irony is where we would see, let's say, chicken breast being the higher end uh, uh, of that animal, um, that would be what they would perceive more as the waste element. So a lot of chicken breasts come over to us and a lot of uh, chicken, uh, other parts of chicken go over there. Obviously in Malaysia, I was uh, looking to open access for duck as well. Silver Hill Ducker company, Irish company who do great work uh, in those areas. But in terms of beef, you know, like there is the the lower end market um, in, in terms of volume of that carcass is, is really important as well. And finding a home for all those bits does make a difference. Uh, the final um, the final price for, for farmers back at home, the more value we can uh, get out of um, the entire animal, uh, the better as well. Yeah, it's a, it's a, a hugely interesting role, uh, Martin, isn't it? When you're, when you're getting out on the ground like that and you're seeing exactly what other countries want and how you're trying to, you know, um, sell our, our products uh, uh, to them. And the big one that uh, resonated with me there is that of food security. Like, we are uh, very, look, I say lucky here. We do a lot of work on it. Look what quality assurance. Farmers complain, complain about quality assurance and board B and whatnot. But it's by doing all that that you can then go out to these countries and, and sell this product that we have. Well, absolutely. So food security is a key element that really strikes you when you're in these countries. Like the fear that was set across Malaysia and the Philippines um, when India decided to not export any rice and keep it for itself. They, these countries are not anywhere near self-sufficient uh, in source of food. And that is a really big concern for any government and for any policymaker in those areas. So they look at us with envy at the fact that we produce far more food um, than our population requires that we export 90% of the food and drink we, we supply and that we're uh, deemed the second most food secure nation in the world, not because we produce everything that we consume here, but because our food, uh, um, food systems are highly integrated now, but we do produce that nutrient-dense food that is highly needed. Um, and it is fascinating when you travel abroad just to see how we're perceived. And I'm a farmer from South Kildare. Um, I, myself and my wife still have, have the farm um, and we still actively run that with our young kids. And as a farmer, before I became a politician, I had a very jaundiced view of quality assurance schemes and paperwork and red tape and bureaucracy. But when you see the unique selling point we have, we're the only country in the world that has a national government-backed quality assurance scheme uh, that is national-based. That just doesn't happen anywhere else. To have the origin green um, story to tell and the verifiable proof points that back that up, while some farmers, you know, will take a jaundiced view of it, it really is a unique selling point for us. And when we look at growing the value of our markets and the value of our exports, as is our intention to do, like we've done in Food Harvest and FoodWise, previous 10-year strategies in the department, Food Vision 2030 is all about growing the value of our food and drink exports for the benefit of our farmers. Um, and the way you do that is getting into those higher value markets. And those higher value markets have higher ambition. They want to know the story about traceability, around sustainability, um, and 
that's where that's where we need to be. And um, you know, so all the efforts we're making, and I know at times farmers have frustrations around some of our measures that are looking to reduce the emissions from the food we produce here, and to be able to tell that story, it's the right thing to do for the environment. But it's also the smart business play to position Irish agriculture, food and drink into the future because we're in the lead right now in terms of that sustainability story. Um, but, you know, uh, we can't rest on our laurels as a country that exports uh, to 180 countries around the world. Um, we can't afford to not re- remain in the lead and to continually to strive to reduce, uh, produce that food uh, with that lower emission profile. Um, and that's what we continue to do. And I can see it in the marketplace that there is a, a, there's a niche for us there in those markets because of that. Yeah, very good, Martin. Uh, finally, just before you go, uh, Fine Gael Special Conference in Kildare. It's in the Glen Royal Hotel in Maynooth, County Kildare, on Saturday, November the 18th. And it is to have an emphasis on uh, rural Ireland. This is a little kind of a, a think tank for um, for you in relation to uh, rural dwellers, Martin. Yeah, look, it's um, it's our special conference on agriculture and rural life uh, hosted by Fine Gael in the Glen Royal Hotel next Saturday. Uh, you know, we'll be discussing stronger, safer communities. Minister Helen McEntee, Minister Justice will have um, a session on that. This is very much about hearing from uh, people as well, you know, on farming the next generation, uh, thriving rural Ireland, what we're doing around, um, you know, supporting rural life. Um, Minister Heather Humphreys, obviously Minister for Rural Affairs, um, will be there and will be contributing to that debate. Um, and EU and food security is something that I'll be uh, taking the lead on as well. But this is very much an opportunity for the members and delegates to uh, have detailed debate and discussion and raise their concerns and to hear some of the work that we're carrying out. But also, you know, we'll have an audition in the new year that will set for the policy for Fine Gael. And it's really important. We've had the Fine Gael Agricultural Forum, um, which has had a number of meetings around the country, chaired by Eddie Downey, former president of the IFA. And with all of our meetings that happened with that in the last, uh, two years we've engaged with directly with over 3,000 farmers um, it's been really beneficial for us that AGM happens on Saturday as well as part of this and um, politicians will be joined in debates by farmers business and community leaders and academics um, and there'll be a, an element of that that is, is streamed live uh, with the Taoiseach and cabinet ministers from the special conference uh, on Fine Gael social media channels from 5pm on the Saturday evening where there'll be a questions and answers discussion on these topics as well Right, busy day on Saturday. Martin, we'll say many thanks for joining us here on the programme. Thanks, Andrew. That is Minister Martin Hayden there uh, joining us, uh, speaking about the trip to the Far East and also about the special conference which is taking place on Saturday next. If you are interested in attending that, if you just Google Fine Gael Special Conference Kildare, it'll pop up and uh, you do have to register uh, in advance of it. So it's for farmers, for rural dwellers and uh, it is going to set out what the big issues are if you are a rural dweller and you want your uh, Fine Gael representative to bring those issues to the fore going forward. Interesting what Martin was saying uh, about the populations in those parts of the world. The Philippines, like you do forget a little bit, 112 million people, like huge, huge, huge numbers out in the Far East. And uh, again, when you hear those figures, that we export 90% of the food that we produce to 180 countries around the world. Uh, the figure is always uh, the one I've come across many times, I suppose it depends year on year, but we produce enough food in Ireland to feed 50 million people. That's the one uh, that you come across a lot. And uh, what a food secure nation we are. Population of, um, what, about five and a half and about a million, million and a half up the north. I think we're about seven, six and a half, seven, I think, between the island of Ireland and uh, producing seven times uh, the amount of food that we need. 
those countries out in the Far East, they could only wish for that. So we're very, very lucky in that regard. And uh, as the minister said, there you'll be giving out about quality assurance and why we have to do it and the red tape that it uh, brings into the farmyard. However, it is so the likes of Board B and the likes of uh, Minister Hayden can go to these uh, far-flung destinations and explain that we have a state-backed quality assurance scheme. It's backed by the government and it's ran throughout every farm in the country and nobody else is doing it globally. So that's why we do it. And uh, I know when we're giving out about it, we all do, but that's the reason for it. And uh, it's to get us to the top table at the top tier when we are selling our wares. Now, coming up after the break, we are going to be speaking about an ICSA event. It's in Tullamore this Friday. And there are lots of different angles at it. It's a kind of environmental-based conference the ICSA are running in Tullamore on Friday. But Richard Markham is going to be there. He's a man from Yorkshire and he's living in Offaly. He has a business, treeandhedge.ie. He's going to be speaking all about laying hedges and all about when's the best time to plant if you need to under your acres requirements. So stay tuned for that. Country Life on Midlands 103. Brought to you by W. Orshaw, Burlington Business Park, Tullamore. Supplier of New Holland's tractors in the Midlands. Worshaw.ie. And you're very welcome back to Country Life here on Midlands 103. And I am moving on to an event which is taking place this Friday evening in Tullamore. It's at the Offaly Historical Society in Berry Key, Tullamore. It's an ICSA farmers meeting. And one of the people speaking at it is Richard Markham. Richard joins me now on the line. Richard, many thanks for taking my call this evening. You're very welcome. Uh, Richard, uh, as I said, this event is taking place in Tullamore on Friday evening. There's an array of speakers. You're going to be speaking on the topic of hedges and specifically hedge laying. So you're well placed to speak about this as your business is dedicated to trees and hedging. Uh, now, you're not originally an Offaly man. You're originally a man from across the water, Yorkshire. Uh, tell me, before you tell me about your business, how did you end up in this part of the world? I originally, I was in uh, in hunt service, um, so um, hunting hounds in England. And when um, when it was banned in 2004, I decided to move to Ireland to pursue the career, which I, uh, in the meantime, have uh, have given up. And that's where the the art of hedge lane um, was. Uh, I, I took took up uh, through hunting as as uh, we used to uh, run into hunt hedge lane competitions, and obviously the hedge lane. Uh, in England was was vital for for hunting purposes, doing. Yeah, obviously, uh, yeah, as you say, a big part of it, um, especially at the end of the day, going around repairing all the hedges uh, that uh, needed repairing. If uh, if a horse was to hit one, uh, but it is a I'm not going to say a lost art, uh, Richard, but uh, it's definitively an um, an art form that's uh, taken a little bit of a back seat with the origin of uh, of the flail Correct, and, yeah. and the. Um, and the uh, the disc for uh, for uh, cutting hedges, uh, hedge laying though there's still a, a a big part to play for it in agriculture. There's a huge part to play in agriculture, especially now na- nowadays we we're all more conscious of of the climate and carbon and what we need to be doing. Um, you're 100% right. It is a kind of a lost art, but it's always been here. It obviously, obviously in the British Isles, but it's always been in Ireland. And I find um, time after time when I'm going in doing private work or work for people on the acre scheme or in the past on the reps um, or, or gloss is somebody on the farm will have recognized that, or my grandfather did that, or Jack up the road did it, don't mean So it, it, it was part of, of Irish culture. It's just, unfortunately, it's been forgotten for the last 30, 40 years, don't mean, or a bit longer possibly. 
And as you mentioned, the uh, the rep scheme and now the acre scheme, there are a lot of um, rules and regulations in these schemes. One of them in acres is that of planting new hedgerows. So look, we're coming up to the time of the year now when uh, we're getting into ideal times for it. But look, that's an area you know far more about than I do. Tell us, uh, Richard, if you are planning on planting a hedge and you need to do it for your acres, or indeed you just want to do it maybe up around your house or whatever the case may be, uh, best time for it? The best time is in the dormant months, so anywhere basically I'd say from, from, from November up until uh, up until February there now. Um, I would advise people, if you, do, if you are looking at planting uh, a, a length of hedgerow, that you actually order or pre-order your, your, the, whatever species you want to put in there uh, now, because the, a lot of the nurseries are getting booked out, obviously with the, the new schemes that are coming in, um, there's, there's quite a big demand at the minute, don't we? And when, for example, if farmers um, plants uh, some white horn quicks or whatever the case may be, pop them in the ground, walk away from them, forget about it. Uh, probably not the best course of action. How much attention does one of these hedges need to ensure it will grow into a, a full stockproof hedge in the years to come? Um, I quite often explain to people, it's a little bit like all of us as humans, you go through your, your, your infancy, you go through you know, your junior school, onto your senior school, onto your, your, your college or whatever, and the, and, and the hedge is exactly the same. A hedge can be planted this year, today. Um, keep the weeds out of it as much as possible, but it's not imperative. The hedge will take over, but in time, you're talking around about 10 to 15 years' time, that hedge will need proper management again to make it into a a long-term sustainable hedge. Otherwise, it'll get left and it'll become a line of trees, um, which is of no real benefit to, to, to nature or, or anything else like that. So you're basically looking at um, um, light, lightly trimming the sides. I wouldn't advise anybody trimming the tops of hedges. Um, I'm not against flails, but um, I, I'm, I'm not a big fan of them either. But to plant a new hedge, by all means, uh, gently tickle the sides every year um, to keep the fence back, keep the stock off it for the time being. Um, but leave the tops and let it grow to a desired height that then the hedge layer can come along and lay the hedge in, like I say, 10 to 15 years of growth. Um, and you'll have a light, you'll have a hedge then for, for two or three generations. Yeah, it's a, it's a long game. I say it's a, it's a long play when you're talking about years like this. Uh, people are used to kind of getting everything done now uh, in, in, in farms and when it, when it comes to maybe projects. But uh, with something like this, you just do have to give it some, some time. Uh, with the uh, flail, as you mentioned, uh, Richard, we're, in, we're into hedge cutting season now on farms. Uh, ground conditions aren't great. There's probably not as much going on as farmers would like. Any advice to farmers on what they can do to obviously look they want to trim their hedge, they want to make sure it is, uh, it's neat and tidy, but to give it maybe the best chance for um, uh, flourishing over the next uh, few months? Yeah, I think, I think the most important thing is to, is to not hit them hard uh, every year. They don't need hitting hard every year. You could just uh, cut back. I, I appreciate roadside um, uh, hedges are, are totally different, but inland hedges, if they could just be cut on a, on a two to three year cycle, um, Leave the leave the tops a little bit. Let them grow off. There's nothing worse in my mind, and I know it looks it looks um, aesthetically pleasing—a nice square hedge and a level topped hedge—and the, and the man on the flail has done a fantastic job. But that actually is of no good to to, to nature, man or beast, or wildlife, uh, flora or fauna at all. I mean, 
Mm, yeah, absolutely. And look, from a cost perspective as well, hedge coding is something that is uh, becoming more and more expensive. So if you are working on maybe a two-year cycle on internal hedges, it's going to make sense financially as well. And uh, that's, you know, that's that's the other side of it. Uh, uh, Richard, you're going to be speaking on Friday evening at this uh, event. You're going to be talking about uh, specifically hedge laying. Um, now, a question, I suppose to say, it isn't a silly question if you don't know the answer, but the difference between laying and coppicing. What, what is that first, Richard? Tell us. So hedge laying, go back to imagine we've planted a hedge um, or somebody planted a hedge, say, 10, 12 years ago, and the hedge has now grown up. It's uh, anywhere between 10, 10, uh, 10 to 15 foot tall. The stems are probably, um, you know, uh, three or four inches in diameter at the bottom. There's then, and I'll explain at the, at the, at the, at the speech on Friday, there's a practice. We cut the stem in a certain way at the bottom and we lay, the, we lay that stem over roughly at a 45 degree angle. And then the next one on top of that, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. That's done in a hedge that is suitable to be laid um, and that has potential to become a beneficial hedge. Sometimes you get hedges that have been left. The hedge might be 50, 60 or even 100 years old, if not more. The stems at the bottom could be uh, 8, 10, 12, 14 inches in diameter. They're basically a tree. Um, they might not be as tall because they might have been flailed every year, but the butt of the hedge is still too thick and too dense. So what we do then is we, we, we call it coppicing, as we, we would come along and we cut that off at a, at a, at a slanted angle about two inches um, off ground level, um, take all the brush away. It's very, very invasive. Take all the, all the brush away, completely do away with the hedge. But where we cut that and left it in the coppicing form, it will re-sprout tenfold, and in a very few short, short, short years' time, you'll actually have a new hedge again. Um, obviously, look at look at laying it then down 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 the years again. But it's um it's a way of um of regenerating new growth without actually planting a hedge. Yeah, bringing it back to life. Uh, Richard, very good. I'm going to say many thanks for joining me here on the program. As I said, you're going to be speaking at the event on Friday evening, and many thanks for speaking to me here for the last few moments on the program. You're very welcome. And that was Richard Markham and his business is treeandhedge.ie. As I said, he's going to be speaking at that event on Friday evening. And if you're looking for any more info on that, please give the ICSA office a call in Port Leash. Just Google the ICSA, their number will pop up. Give them a call and they'll give you the particulars on it. Uh, there's going to be a speech about carbon farming, peatland carbon sequestration. And also Ed Cooper is going to be talking about longhorn beef. Something I don't know much about, I have to say. Uh, So looks like it's going to be a very interesting event. Now, I'm going to a break and coming up after the break, Bernard Dorley is going to be on speaking about the Chagas Beef Conference, which is taking place next Friday. But before I go to that, a piece of information that came in last week. I didn't have time to cover this this evening. I'm going to try and do something on it next week. But uh, Board B's Quality Assurance Scheme has come out definitively and stated that in order for you to be in the scheme, uh, healthy calves cannot be slaughtered within the first eight weeks of their life. Uh, And that means it can't be slaughtered on farm in an approved slaughterhouse or any other intentional off-farm movement for the purposes of a slaughter. So that's gone up to eight weeks now and uh, that is going to make things interesting for a certain uh, amount of dairy farms next year. Not uh, many, definitely not the norm, but uh, an amount. But that's the rule now, up to eight weeks and uh, something I want to feature on next week's programme. As I said, Bernard Dorley uh, with me in a moment to talk about the Beef Conference, so stay tuned for that. Country Life on Midlands 103. Brought to you by W. Orshaw Burlington Business Park Tillamore. Supplier of New Holland's tractors in the Midlands. Worshaw.ie. 
And you're welcome back to Country Life here on Midlands 103. Now, it is the Chagas Beef Conference. It's on next Tuesday evening in Banlasloe and its heading is Improving the Sector's Green Credentials. Bernard Dorley from Chagas and Tullamore is on to speak to me about the event. Bernard, many thanks for taking my call this evening. Thank you very much for letting me on, TJ. Um, uh, you're very welcome, Bernard. Uh, big event in Banlasloe, as I said, next week. But I'm going to have to point something out to you from the very start and uh, you've led a bit of a chancer chair the first session, uh, Bernard. So hopefully, hopefully <laughs> it works. Well, hopefully it works out for you next week. <laughs> no, listen, to you, it was a MJ. You, you, you certainly be well able to handle it. And, that. and yeah. look, you, ha- you you have a good session to it's the implementing of, of sustainable technologies on beef farms. Yeah, so just to, just to let, let the listeners in, I'm going to be chairing the first one uh, next Tuesday evening. Bernard's going to talk about it now. And as he said, it's called Implementing Sustainable Technologies on Beef Farms. So, Bernard, off you go. Tell us what the first session is going to be about. Well, look, I, I won't steal uh, Paul's thunder, as is, but look, Paul will be on with you later as is to discuss the updating of the breathing indexes. And look, second end to Paul in the first session, is Ellen Fitzpatrick is coming up from Johnstown Castle Research Centre and she'll be looking at uh, giving a paper on low input and high output dairy beef uh, heifer systems. And then we, we sort of have an international flair uh, to the, the conference this year. Uh, we have Dr. Maria Gulbenzu, if I pronounced that correctly, and IBR and BVD uh, from Animal Health Ireland. And look, we should be conscious that uh, the, the the beef conference in itself is trying to future proof uh, Irish production, and if we look at the Netherlands, they're potentially bringing in a vaccination or a nationwide was it a policy of vaccinating this is for IBR and BVD, and we 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 need to be conscious enough that if we look at 2003 23 alone, Netherlands took 106,000 calves or just short of 107,000 calves. Uh, from the Irish farmers this year alone, and it's a, it's a, it's an important market. I said, and uh, if if we look at overall across the country this year alone, uh, we've exported up to two hundred and five thousand was it calves uh, in, in amongst was other cattle is of weaning stores and adult cattle, and they they're an important uh, market, uh, and it's it's so important for us to be able to future proof that. If they are European markets or export markets uh, change and bring in policies from a national basis, can we future proof our, our, our systems that we'd be able to export uh, into those markets? So it, that's the first section was it MJ, I says there'll be a short break. And within that, I says it, it's, it's important to note that, look, there's multiple areas. Uh, it says there's other information on the night. Dairy Beef 500 stands Future Beef Program. The Dairy Beef, look, the importance of raising calves, and you announced it there before you went in your break, that look, young calves have to be on farm, can't be slaughtered before eight weeks. The importance of keeping for the, uh, the dairy industry and the calves coming from that industry being able to be processed and, and, and brought into profitable beef on the, on the beef side. You have the Future Beef Program, there's a stand there. That's on, on the suckler side. And look, again, because we're, as you state yourself, the ethos and, and the, the thesis for, for the conference this year is improving our beef sector's green credentials. Uh, the signpost program, we are aware of environmental targets and AgNav sign up and getting to know your figures and what, where you are from, from a carbon footprint point of view. 
water quality as asap is there as well organic beef the importance of you know building a resilient organic for the sector and listen we we can't ignore land use and land use change in forestry and there's a forestry stand and gen- general information and not other sections and that's available as is before the conference starts and in the for this, the short break as is where hopefully we will give you a little cup of tea or coffee to to to, to settle down for the second part and in the second part it's again it's increasing our competitive advantage on the global stage and uh, our own dr siobhan kavanagh uh, signpost program communicator is going to be going and looking at the drivers in greenhouse gas uh, emissions and cattle demonstration farms and then we go the into international view of it we have uh, anisa laholt i hope you have that correct She's project manager. So, sounds manager, good. Uh, sounds good, Bernard. <laughs> I, I'll take it at that. I'll take it at that. Um, she's with the Farm Livestock Institute, but primarily uh, she's looking at, say, certification schemes in France and potentially paying farmers for their carbon footprints. Yet she's uh, responsible for the European Life Carbon Farming uh, Project from 2021 to 27. And she's working across France, Germany, Belgium, Spain, Ireland, and Italy. And looking at was it over 700 farms from a carbon for the farming point of view, and to see can those farms right across Europe um, improve uh, their environmental credentials, and is there possibly in the time uh, a label for your carbon footprint in, in relation to your your beef production? And then to finish the night, TJ or was it MJ? Sorry. Uh, we're looking with uh, Rupert uh, Claxton, and Rupert is with a meat director of the GR, GIRA, and that's a strategic consultancy and market research uh, company founded over 50 years. And they look at the food, the drink sector, and food-based retail chain. And they, they're involved in worldwide for the consultancy work in meat, fish, and dairy, and they cover all aspects, not just agricultural production, but processing and wholesaling, and he's given an overview of the world outlook for beef prices and input costs. Yeah. So there, there's something there for everyone. Like, I mean, when you look at it, TJ, uh, or MJ, it's uh, a very important uh, a conference for anybody that's committed to beef production and to future-proof your production as is into the global markets. As is because pasture base, uh, we do sell our, our beef across the world based on, on pasture-based and getting all of those was a ducks in a row, keeping our animals in the best and, and the best of health, uh, reacting when other countries are putting in vaccination programs so that we can still export uh, where we have the capabilities of exporting and that we're actually farming environmentally as best we possibly can. 100% Bernard, great rundown there I have to say. It's important just to say to our listeners as well that the conference is free to attend and it is... 100%. Uh, yeah, and uh, look, it promises to be uh, uh, very informative over the course of the evening. Bernard, I'm going to go because Paul Crasson's coming out with me in a moment. So we'll no say problem, many, so. many thanks for joining me and uh, giving no us a rundown problem, there. MJ. So look, MJ, it's Tuesday the 21st of November. It starts at 5 o'clock and it's in the Sherwood Fuzzard Hotel in Ballinasau County, Galway and everybody is welcome to attend. Perfect stuff. Many thanks, Bernard. You're welcome. Thanks a million, MJ. Thanks so much. 
Uh, Bernard Dorley there from Chagas and uh, the event is next Tuesday and now we are going to go to a break and we are going to speak to Dr Paul Crossan and Paul is giving a paper next Tuesday evening about the changes in the Eurostar rating so if you're involved in SCEP and you are looking to ensure that you have the requisite number of four and five star heifers this is hugely hugely important for you and indeed uh, involved in beef in general because these star figures are changing and we're going to hear why and uh, it is going to be uh, beneficial to have this knowledge going forward, especially, as I said, if you are involved in the Suckler Cow Scheme. So stay tuned for that. Country Life on Midlands 103. Brought to you by W. Orshaw, Burlington Business Park, Tillamore. Supplier of New Holland's tractors in the Midlands. Worshaw.ie. And you're very welcome back to Country Life here on Midlands 103. Now, uh, Bernard Dorley was on just before the break and he was talking about an overview of the Beef Conference taking place next week in Ballinasloe. Paul Crossan is going to be presenting a paper at that conference and Paul is joining me now to have a chat about it. Paul, many thanks for speaking to me on the programme this evening. Not at all, NJ. Thank you for having me on the show. Uh, you're the first up next week, Paul, and your paper is going to be speaking about the recent changes to the Eurostar breeding index. Now, just before we crack into it and what those changes are, the Eurostar, the star ratings for cows and for heifers and for females uh, in herds, farmers look kind of understand it, maybe still don't fully understand it. They kind of get four and five stars are good and that's what they want. They understand maybe that there's a Eurostar figure attached to it. But the the background to all this, Paul, is an awful lot of work goes into collating that data and giving those figures. And though that work uh, and the reason and how you get those figures is changing now. It's kind of it's fair to give that as an overview. Yeah, absolutely. I suppose the first thing I'll say, MJ, is that there has been a huge amount of debate about this, particularly in the last month or so. Uh, and I think that's fantastic. You know, it really shows the, the passion that people have for breeding. Uh, you know, we, we, we have a world-renowned suckler herd and the passion that people have to continue to improve that suckler herd is really coming through now. Uh, it also allows us, I suppose, to move to this current phase, which is really communication about those changes, why, why they happened, uh, how they happened and what the impact might be. So just in terms of, of, of the process that we've gone through, uh, we, we established a working group between ourselves and in Chagask and ICBF uh, just over two years ago. Uh, and we started looking at the type of changes that have occurred in the suckler beef sector. The last time we uh, had these updates to, to the breeding indexes was 2015. So, you know, that's eight years. It's, it's, it's probably longer than we'd like uh, in terms of an update, but we had BV, or, uh, the BDGP in the meantime uh, and it just wasn't a, a good time to be updating index in the middle of a, of a, of a program like that. So, so what has changed, I suppose? Look, at, there has been a seismic change in prices and, you know, your, your listeners will be all very, very familiar with that, uh, whether it's fertiliser or feed or, or even the more basic items that you go down to your, your merchant to purchase, you know, costs of really, uh, we're in a completely different landscape now than we were in 2015. The second thing is uh, some technologies have changed and we have more information around some be- some traits that are really important. Uh, so things like aided finishing now is much more to the forefront and we have more information around the potential of cattle to be finished earlier without affecting their their, their, their finishability, if you like, their carcass fat and so on. Uh, and I suppose the third big area is, um, you know, the whole area of climate. And I was listening to, to your contributor just before the break. Um, before Bernard came on uh, discussing, you know, hedgerow laying and, and, and the carbon issues associated with that. So 
there's a lot of new um, issues in the in the in the ether, if you like, that people have to be aware of. And carbon is certainly really, really important. So I suppose just going back, uh, MJ, to what the indexes are, uh, and you mentioned that that your listeners will be aware of the, the Eurostar ratings, the one versus five star, and so on. And essentially, the indexes are a tool to calculate the genetic potential of an animal in your herd, and you express it in in, in economic terms. So, you know. If we look at the, the replacement index for suckler cows, for example, there are almost 20 traits within that index. So each trait has an economic value. Each trait has, uh, has a different potential of being expressed in an animal. So, you know, as a farmer or a breeder making a decision about, you know, what bull to select or what cows to breed from and so on, you've nearly 20 traits. It's really, really difficult to do that without some tool that, that collapses those numbers down to a single value. Uh, and the Eurostar index it, it, it serves that purpose. And the changes then that are being made, uh, Paul, some uh, traditional suckler farmers are conscious and a little bit worried that uh, the larger continental cow is maybe being made a little bit of a target of uh, because she's large, she eats that little bit more uh, and maybe um, uh, contributes to a uh, uh, slightly more of an environmental toll even though she's giving a, a, a better quality uh, calf that that cow is going to be tried to be pushed to one side and a, a smaller, maybe more dairy-based um, cow is going to be put to the forefront as the animal of the future. Uh, what would you say to people with concerns such as that? Yeah, again, look, I, I go back to the comment I made earlier. People are really passionate about breeding and about their, their breed preference, and that's great. Uh, what I'd say is that, you know, certainly the cost of keeping suckler cows has, has gone up dramatically since the last time we ran these updates. You know, I, I was just looking at some numbers from the Chagas National Farm Survey, and, you know, the cost of, of keeping a suckler cow or the cost per cow unit on suckler farms was about 1,100 euros in 2015, and we're, we're up at 1,550 euros now. You know, so it's a, it's a 40% or thereabouts increase in the cost of the cow. So we do have to be really, really conscious of reducing costs on suckler, on suckler herd. So the, the, the challenge here or the, the objective isn't to, to, you know, make one breed more popular or one type of cow more popular than another. The, the really objective here is regardless of your, your, the cow type that you, that you prefer, whether it's a, a continental cow type, a more traditional breed or, or a crossbred, whichever is your preference, to make all of those animals more profitable in the next generation of suckler cows. And that's around reducing uh, the cost of the cow, but also about continuing to increase the value of the output. You know, so we certainly have a focus on cost, but we also have a focus on, uh, on the value of the output. So, you know, those, those cows that are producing the heavier wheelings or the higher valued wheelings in terms of shape and conformation and so on, they still are very much part of the uh, uh, emphasis within the, within the indexes. Uh, the changes, uh, Paul, in relation to the uh, star rating, when are these changes going to uh, kick in? So say, for example, if a farmer has you know, four and five star cows in his herd now, could this time next year those cows only be worth two and three stars? Is there a time frame on this or do we know? Yeah, so um, the the uh, release date for the evaluations will uh, is the twenty eighth of uh, of November. So the conference is next Tuesday, and the following Tuesday, uh, the the next one of the evaluations uh, will come out. So the farmers will see that uh, in their star ratings. What I will say is that you know the initial data that that I've seen from 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 the ICDF uh, colleagues is that almost eighty five percent of four and five star cows will retain their status 
after the changes, you know. So the vast, mm-hmm. vast majority of cows will retain their status. And, and of the remainder, uh, you know, as many will come into Fund 5 Star as will drop out. So, you know, the, we... There will be certain herds where obviously there'll be there'll be more there'll be higher percentages than that that will change and each herd has to just keep an eye on their own percentages in, in terms of skep. Uh, but um, you know certainly across the board we're we're not seeing really seismic changes in terms of the the percentages of four and five star either within breed or indeed across breed. Uh, very good, Paul. We're just out of time, uh, so I will say many thanks for joining me, and we look forward to hearing you next week at the conference. Many thanks, Paul. Thanks, MJ. Thank you. Uh, Paul Crossender from Chagas and that is uh, Paul's paper that he's going to be presenting next Tuesday evening that is going to be a big one now uh, in relation to those changes Uh, those changes are going to occur on the 28th of November and uh, do you want to learn more next Tuesday evening as I said I'm going to be chairing the first uh, session implementing sustainable technologies on beef farms so if you are at the conference next Tuesday evening, please, by all means, come up and uh, uh, say hello uh, if you listen to the programme here. And uh, I'd be delighted to have a chat with you. As I said, it's in Ballinasloe next Tuesday at 5pm and it is free admission. That is it for this evening's programme. I'd like to thank all my guests, Paul Crossan, excuse me, <coughs> from Chagas, Bernard Dorley, also from Chagas, Richard Markham at the ICSA event this Friday evening, talking about hedge laying, and Martin Hayden was on at the start of the hour. Show is repeated Sunday morning at 7am until 8am. You can get us wherever you get your podcasts. If you type in MJ space Cleary, C-L-E-R-Y, we will pop up. And I will speak to you this time next week, as always. So, good night and God bless. Joe Cooney's up next with Country Roads. <laughs> Country Life on Midlands 103. Brought to you by W. Orshaw Burlington Business Park Tullamore. Supplier of New Holland's tractors in the Midlands. WOrshaw.ie